don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. This is a CBS News special report. Dan Rather reporting for CBS News from New York. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. was shot to death by an assassin late today as he stood on a balcony in Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. King had planned to lead another civil rights march in Memphis next Monday. Martin Luther King was assassinated on April 4th, 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee. The evening before he gave a speech, it was really a sermon, it was at a church called the Mason Temple in Memphis. And that speech is what you just saw on the video right before the Dan Rather news report. Martin Luther King in that famous speech called the mountaintop speech, what you saw there was the end of it. The last paragraph of the last speech this great speech giver ever gave. And he talked all about biblical things. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord pulled right out of the book of Revelation, which we'll get to in our whole Holy Bible in a year reading, but not for a long time. <laughs> That'll be December. We'll get there. But he didn't just go there. He didn't just pull one verse out. His whole speech, like almost all of his speeches, were grounded in the good seed of God's word. Let me give you a quick tour through that. He started his speech, this famous mountaintop speech, the final speech he ever gave. On the eve of his assassination, next screen please, he started this speech by talking about how if the Almighty, if God gave him the blessing of allowing him to go to any era, any age, any time in the history of humanity, here's what he would do. He says, I'd start in Egypt, into the time of Exodus, which will be a part of our reading this coming week. You'll read all about it. And I would see the way that, that, that people were enslaved by the Pharaoh and the Egyptian slave drivers. And then I would see them move through uh, 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 the Red Sea out of slavery into the freedom of a new life in a promised land. I've been to the mountaintop, King says at the end of this speech, and I've seen the promised land. 
So he starts the speech with the promised land and he ends it with the promised land. Pulled right out of the pages of scripture, the good seed of God's word. He said, then I'd fast forward. I'd move through time to paraphrase King's speech. And I'd probably go to Greece and I'd, I'd want to hear firsthand the great philosophers, the Greek philosophers like Plato and Socrates and, and Aristotle and the rest. I, I'd want to see them and hear them in person and, and talk about these things, these philosophies with them. And then I'd want to go to the Roman Empire and, and see what those Caesars were really all about and some of them at the height of the Roman Empire. And, and then I'd move forward in history to the time of the Renaissance and watch the world wake up in all sorts of different ways. And not long after that, I'd go to the place where my namesake, and that's the way King talked about him in this last speech he ever gave. I'd want to meet the man I'm named after. The same man our church is named after is a Lutheran Church of Hope. I'd want to meet Martin Luther. And I'd especially want to see him on that day where he nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church and started a movement to freedom that comes only by God's amazing grace. I'd want to be there for that. I'd want to talk to him about it. I'd want to get to know him even better. As he famously said, here I stand. And King, obviously, Martin Luther King, took his own stands. I would go forward, he says, and then deeper into the speech, he talks in depth about the parable of the Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10, a parable that Jesus gives to the onlookers, to the crowd that's there of Jewish people, and the reason he does is one of them asks him a question, who's my neighbor? And Jesus answered by telling a story. Jesus had this wonderful habit of telling very simple stories to teach the most profound and deepest spiritual truths. And so he says, let me tell you a story that you'll be familiar with, especially to the crowd who was listening to him back then. He says, a man's walking down a road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and immediately everybody who's listening to Jesus goes, would know that's a dangerous road. Thieves hang out on that road because it drops in elevation and there's, it goes through the, the mountainside into the valley and, and there's corners and turns and thieves can easily hide and you don't want to walk it alone, that's for sure. But this man is walking it alone and a lot of the people could relate to the story because either it happened to them or it happened to somebody they know and love. People will get robbed on this pathway, this road, all the time. So Jesus takes a story from everyday life to teach a deep biblical truth, spiritual truth. Notice that he doesn't just say, well, here, let me just give you a bunch of information. Here, here's all the things that, that I want you to know. King knew this. Anybody who gives speeches and does it well knows this. If you really want to teach people something deep, don't just give them a bunch of information. Tell them a story. Tell them something that will hit their heart. So we follow Jesus when we do that as preachers. King followed Jesus when he does that as a preacher and as a prophet and as, as a proclaimer of justice into the world of the 1960s. Jesus goes on and tells this story. His king talks about it in his speech. And he says, then the man is robbed, he's beaten, he's left for dead. Two religious people, priests, stop by, but they don't stop, actually. They just step over him. He's kind of a nuisance. He's in the way. Because, you know, they're very important. They're very busy. They have better things to do. King is telling this story that Jesus told because he's aiming at prejudice. And instead of just saying, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't be prejudiced which it clearly does, 
king knows what Jesus knows. Let me tell you a story about prejudice that can transform your heart and your life, your soul. Let me put some good seed on that soil so it'll produce something, so that a transformation will happen, so that it won't just continue to be a seed, but it'll become a fruit-producing, life-giving miracle of transformation. Along comes the Samaritan, and Jesus knows the crowd who's listening to him, Israelites, Jews, have a deep prejudice against Samaritans. So to make a Samaritan the good one and the hero of this story is a pretty bold move. (laughs) But Jesus wants them to know this profoundly deep spiritual truth that your prejudice has no place in the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to be able to take it with you. What is easy to justify in this fallen world with fallen people, and it makes all sorts of sense to us, will not stand in the kingdom of heaven. And it will not stand with followers of Jesus Christ. That's why King told this story that Jesus told. The Samaritan comes and has compassion on the man who's beaten and robbed and left for dead. And he goes the extra mile. He goes above and beyond to take care of all of his needs and a whole bunch of his wants too. Which isn't even on the menu. He he finds even more to do for this person in need than anybody could ever imagine. Then King moves in his speech Back at the end, the last paragraph, which you just saw in a video, back to the place where he started. Brilliant speech. Back to the time of Moses, and he says, you know, Moses went up to Mount Nebo. We'll read about that in Deuteronomy in a few weeks. I hope I'm not going to give the story away, but Moses dies in the end. (laughs) So Moses went up to Mount Nebo right before he died, like on the day before he died maybe, or the week, or not long after. And the Lord said to Moses, this is the land I promised you, Moses. I've allowed you to see it with your own eyes, but you will not enter. So now you realize King's not just coming up with an illustration and a metaphor that sounds kind of, you know, dreamy. I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen this vision. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you like Moses didn't get there with the Israelites. But I'm telling you, we are going to get there. God's people, people of justice, people of faith, hope and love are going to get there. I'm telling you, I've been to the mountaintop, I've seen it. God's given me a vision of it, and that's good enough for me. I don't care what they do to me now. The king had all sorts of reasons to be concerned, so fascinating that he'd end this speech, which was off the cuff. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, I would say, prophetic word from God and that is not to say that king is a prophet is infallible that he's not without sin that he's perfect that we should worship him we don't worship Martin Luther King we don't worship Martin Luther we don't worship preachers or pastors or Christian authors or or musicians or we don't worship fallible fallen sinful human beings we don't even worship angels the Bible makes that clear we worship God and him alone As we read about Jesus being tempted by the devil. No, you worship God and serve only him as he inspires you to serve others. King had every reason to be concerned about the safety, his well-being, his life. He tells a story in this same famous mountaintop speech about a time in New York City when he was doing a book signing and somebody came up to him and said, are you Martin Luther King? And he 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 was just signing a book. He said, yes, I am. And that person stabbed him. That woman stabbed him to death. Tried to stab him to death. Almost killed him. He was taken to a 
hospital, ER in New York City. When he came to and woke up, the ER doctor told King, said, um, you almost died. The knife went just to the side of your aorta. You can't live when your aorta is blown up. You, you would have died. And, and then he went on to say, and this was reported in the New York Times, if you had sneezed, you would have died. So King says, well, I'm glad I didn't sneeze. <laughs> then in his speech, he goes on to talk about this high school girl from White Plains, New York, White Plains High School, who sent him a letter about this event and said, dear Dr. King, I just heard about what happened to you, and I'm so sorry. I'm paraphrasing. This isn't exactly word for word, but I'm going to get you to the heart of it. I'm so sorry about what happened to you. I read about it in the newspaper. I don't know that I have to tell you this, but for some reason I think I should. I'm white. And I just want you to know that I'm happy you didn't sneeze. Because the doctor says if you sneeze, you would have died. And then King takes that as the topic sentence for his next several paragraphs in his speech. I'm so glad I didn't sneeze. If I had sneezed, I would have missed what God has done through this movement that he's doing. He, King never took credit for it. He was a reluctant leader of the civil rights movement. He was a Baptist preacher in Georgia. That was his call. That's what he wanted to do. He was an academic. He got his doctorate just outside of his teenage years. Brilliant. A thinker. A theologian. But because the good seed of God's word got into the cultivated soil of his heart, soul, and mind, he couldn't be silent. He couldn't sit still. He realized that Christianity, this following Jesus thing, is something we do. It isn't just something we think about. It has everything to do with the way we live out our daily lives. It isn't just about philosophy and pondering theology and, and wondering about these things and trying to, to, to dissect scripture like you dissect a 10th grade biology frog. It's stories that cut to the heart. God's seed hitting hopefully good soil in our souls and producing a harvest. King had every reason to be concerned, not just because he was almost stabbed to death in New York City, but because on the way to Memphis that night, when he gave his last speech the eve of his assassination, at this church in Memphis, on the way there on the plane, the pilot told everybody, sorry for the delay, he was about an hour and a half late for this speech, but the plane was delayed from Atlanta to Memphis because they had to do extra security, because there were threats, because somebody found out that Dr. King was on that flight, and so called in death threats. When he landed in Memphis, all, all the people around King told him, you should go home, you shouldn't go do this speech, we need to leave Memphis, you're not safe here, there are more death threats all over Memphis, and King says, no, this is the mission, this is what we're here to do. And he said it in that speech that night, maybe it wasn't just for the crowd that was there, but it was for his entourage, it was for the people who were leaders in, his civil rights, in the civil rights movement that God called him to lead. He says, well, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And then he uses not some metaphor he pulls out of the sky, but a biblical good seed metaphor. He says, like Moses, I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. Mine eyes have seen the glory. I may not get there with you. How prophetic was that? I may not get there with you, but I'm telling you, we will get there. 
And after he finished, I don't know if you caught it in the video, but I read up on this this last week. He was so tired and exhausted from the last few days and so moved by the Spirit for that speech that he didn't write, but God just gave to him on, in the moment that he stumbled as, as he went back to his seat and he almost fell over and somebody had to catch him. And then the next day he was shot dead on the balcony of a motel in Memphis. A few weeks before, somebody had asked King, what do you want said at your funeral? Because, you know, there's all these death threats. Maybe you ask, have you ever wondered about that? What would you want said at your funeral? Oh, this person, you, was so great. They went to the top of their career. They, they were the best at it. They, it was all state when they were kids in athletics. Brilliant, gifted musician, so talented, such a blessing, so, so smart. All, all the degrees, all, all the academic accomplishments, everything that they did. Look at all the things that you, that I, that, that we as human beings accomplished. Look what we can do. Nothing wrong with that. Celebrate it. At your celebration of life at your funeral, fine. If that's what you want to do, I got no word from the Lord that says you shouldn't do it. I'm just telling you, I hope you're living for something more. First and foremost, King said, what I would like to be said at my funeral is I'd like somebody that day to mention that I tried to give my life to serving others and that I was a drum major for justice. And right before that, he says, I don't need anybody to talk about all the degrees that I earned. I don't need anybody to talk about uh, the big crowds at my speeches. I don't need anybody to talk about all the things I accomplished. I just want somebody to say, I live for something other than myself. Wherever you are, whatever campus, whatever local site, wherever you are online, uh, we're here in this room in overflow rooms, I want you to turn to the person next to you right now and say, it's not about you, baby. You don't have to say baby, but just say it's not about you. Have you learned this yet? Because if you make life all about you and everything you can consume and everything you can get and everything you can pull from other people, it'll never be enough. I'd like somebody to mention that day that I gave my life for others. And so King famously said, and it'll probably post it on social media all over the place like it is every year on his holiday, life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? How would you answer that question? What are you doing for others? Do others come straight to mind? Here's the people I'm sacrificing so much for. Here's the people I'm giving my life for. Here's the people that I live for. Here's the people that I serve. Or has your life been reduced to what can I get from people? What can they give me? I want to get to know them so that, you know, maybe I'll get some sort of bonus along the way. I don't care about them. I'm just going to pretend I like them so that I can get something out of it. What's in this relationship for me? The world says, and the good seed of God's word says, ask a better question when you get into a friendship, a relationship. What's in this for the other person? What can God do through me? How can I serve? Show me the best marriages and I'll show you two people, a husband and a wife, who are serving each other instead of seeing what they can get from the other one. Who are all in on giving their lives for the other. Show me the best friendships. Show me the best relationships anywhere. And it's always what's in this for you. 
not what's in this for me. Life's most persistent question and urgent question is what are you doing for others? Let me tell you a story to illustrate this good seed. Where, where did King get that? What are you doing for others? Well, he got it from the Gospels. We'll read about it here in a few weeks. Jesus says, I can sum up all the laws of the Old Testament. I can sum up the purpose of life. Do to others what you would have them do to you. So let me tell you a story. Let Jesus tell you a story. I'll just be your tour guide. A farmer went out to farm to plant some seeds. Jesus told simple stories about daily life to teach profound and deep spiritual truths. And no, this is a bit of a stretch for Iowa because we don't relate to farm stories and farming and agriculture or anything like that. But imagine you live in an agricultural state, okay? Imagine there are farms all around you. Imagine that you drive by them throughout season to season, all throughout your whole life living in Iowa. Planting season, growing season, harvest season, rest season, and round and round it goes. Imagine you knew something, even if you weren't paying attention, about the rhythm of farm life. So a farmer went out to plant some seeds, and please note this, that all the seed is good, because the seed is God's word, Jesus will say a little bit later in Matthew 13. All of God's word is useful, it's good, it's purposeful. There's a point to it. There isn't bad seed and below average seed, it's all good seed. What's got some variety to it in this story is us, it's the soil, we're the soil, it's our souls. It's the quality of the soil, and Jesus says there's four different kinds of qualities of soil that the seed hits. It's not about whether the seed is good. God's word is good. It's consistent. You can trust it. This word, the Bible will say later as we read through it, this word is near you, closer than you think. It's on your lips and near your heart, knocking on the door of your heart, Jesus says in Revelation 3.20. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. As soon as you open it up, I'll come in. I'll bring this timeless truth of God's word to you. That's the good seed. That's why we're reading the Bible, not just to read it, but to read it so that we can learn it and learn it so that we can live it, so that the transformation can happen. Farmers don't plant seeds just to say, statistically, I planted this many seeds in this much soil. Woo, yay me. Farmers plant seeds in the soil so that they produce a crop, so that they bring a harvest. And so it is with God's word. God's word is consistent. How's your soil? How's your soul? How cultivated is it? How receptive is it these days to prioritizing God's word? If you've fallen behind on your readings just a couple of weeks in, you're not alone. Just start over. Give yourself some grace. Get back into it. Those of you who are right on top of it, keep your soil cultivated as you read it. Understand you're receiving the good seed. Make sure your heart and mind's in a good place as you take it in. Some of the seed fell on a footpath and the evil one stole it away. Other seed fell on shallow soil. These are the things that can get in the way of us and God's word. And when we first hear the good news of God's amazing grace, we get all excited. We say, wow, this is awesome. I love this. Hands up, everybody praising. This is the most awesome thing. Going for the spiritual buzz. And then at the first sign of trouble, Jesus says, that plant wilts and it doesn't produce anything. Have a deeper faith in that. Let, it, let, let your faith take root into that rich soil. Let God's word go down deep so it produces. Third category of seed, Jesus says, falls among the thorns. And Jesus says it's like the distractions in life, the pursuit of wealth or worldly things, and then that becomes more important than God's word. 
And so it gets pushed out. It doesn't do what it was supposed to do. It's not the seed's fault. It's the soil. It's really about how receptive we are to it. Still other seeds fell on good soil, fertile soil, productive soil, a soil that makes a difference, the way it did for Martin Luther King. Listen, Jesus says, a farmer went out to plant some seeds and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as was planted. Look at the harvest from King's life. And it isn't because he was so great. It's because he was faithful enough to know God is so great. And if I make room for God's word, the good seed, to hit cultivated soil in my soul, not perfect soil. King was not perfect. Neither are you. Neither am I. We're not worshiping him. But good seed hits cultivated soil, faithful soil. And then it produces freedom and equality and trust and courage and justice and peace. And on and on and on the list goes. I'm telling you, this could be your story too. I don't mean your goal should be, I want to live my life in such a way I get a holiday named after me someday. That wasn't King's goal, which is fascinating. That's God calling you right now. Saying, it's time, I'm throwing my seed out at you. Don't be distracted by whoever called. Unless you're on call as a doctor and it's emergency and you have to go, then go serve others. That's what you do. If you ever, by the way, hear somebody or see somebody get up and do that with their friends, probably something like that. I get those apology emails all the time. Sorry I had to get up and leave, but um, I had to go to the ER. So go. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's okay. Now, some of you I know aren't in the medical world, and if you get up and pretend you have to, because I know you're going to make sure you don't miss kickoff. But there is, do I need to go back to the soil and the thorns and the stuff that gets in the way? You just let me know. I just want to know what I'm dealing with here. I get the same temptations. But what God did in King, God can do through you. It doesn't have to be public. Remember, he was the reluctant leader. It doesn't have to be over the top. It could be. And if that's your call, do it. Let your light shine. But maybe it's just that you love your family and your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors and your classmates and this community and the world around you. And you let God's word hit good soil and it starts to change your attitudes and change your mind about things. And you start hitting your stride because you're living for others first and yourself after that. Instead of getting that backwards. Because even if you accomplish those things, it won't be satisfying. And it won't produce, it won't get you where you want to go. Let me tell you a story. Because stories teach the deepest spiritual truths. This is the story of uh, Dr. Brian Brown, the Reverend Dr. Brian Brown who is our co-lead pastor at one of our locations, Hope Elam. Brian and I were really excited about this weekend, MLK weekend, and we were going to preach together in person here in West Des Moines. And we talked about it off and on over the last several weeks, and we were just about there. We were almost done, and this was a week or two ago. And then Brian called me and he said, I am so sorry, and if you tell me I need to be here, I'll be here. I'll show up, I'll, I'll cancel what I've been called out to do, but I've been called out, I have to go to Biloxi, Mississippi. And I'll explain that a little bit later here in the story of Brian. Some of you already know Brian really well. Uh, he's been in this community for a long time. He was um, a guy who was uh, the head of the Drake Relays for a number of years and 
uh, on um, the athletic staff, athletic department staff at Drake University. Uh, brilliant, uh, earned doctorate, uh, a pastor, uh, ordained, super bright guy, could do almost anything he wants to do just because he's got that kind of a mind. Soft-spoken, humble. When Pastor Hurst retired, um, we called him. He was living in Missouri, Columbia, where he was the assistant athletic director at University of Missouri, an SEC, SEC school now. He said, Brian, I'm pretty sure, you know, <laughs> you're kind of on a trajectory, a career trajectory that God has you on, and you need to keep doing that. But just by chance, would you be open to talking to us about being a co-lead pastor at Hope Elam? It's funny you should mention that, Brian said. I'm feeling the call to get back into ministry full time, to leave behind all sorts of success, nothing but success, in his vocational career as an athletic director. But I'm feeling that call. We looked up, because it's public record, how much he made. <laughs> he said, Brian, we're not going to be able to do that. Uh, we're, 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 this is a church, so what, what you're used to, you know, maybe slice that a lot, all right? But that just tells you something about Brian, doesn't it? He's here. He took the call. And we're so blessed. A lot of you know him, but even if you do, there's probably parts of his story you don't know. And, and a lot of you don't know him. And if you don't, you're going to get to know him. So because Brian got called to Biloxi, Mississippi and couldn't be here in person, I said, well, why don't we have you tell your story via video? So meet Brian. When I was growing up in South Louisiana, um, I had grown up in the Catholic environment. I'd heard the word as a youth. I made my first communion and I knew of God. The word came forward, but I didn't really know him. I didn't have any root. It, it, the word came, but it was like the seed that fell by the wayside. There was nothing that really stuck. And so as I continued to get older in my youth growing up in Louisiana, there was times when I made my confirmation. And in that regards, I thought, okay, there was something that was happening in my life. I knew that God was there. I knew I was excited about the word, but still it was pretty shallow. There was not a lot that was there to kind of, for me to put down some principles and some guidelines of how it would govern my life. And so it, it was more or less the seed that was kind of stony ground. It was quick in my joy, but there was not substance. So again, no root. When I began to become an athlete and I began to understand that God had put a seed in me, a gift to jump, I knew that there was something there that was godly. Getting good counsel as John Thomas on the left talking to Brian Brown, the American who was ranked number two in the United States last year in the high jump. This is Brown's attempt at seven feet and an easy clearance. He should be able to do that all day. Amazing when you consider that early in the program, we showed John Thomas clearing seven feet indoors. And of course, he was doing it in a different fashion than the Fosbury flop. He has won the competition. Second place is 7-2. This is his attempt at 7-6. And a solid clearance from the man from Northwest Louisiana State. Brian Brown has had to compete against Hollis Conway all of his college career, so he gets a good chance to see uh, the best American that has ever been in this particular event. Brian Brown's second attempt at 7-7 quarter. Let's see if there's some improvement over his first one. And it's a clearance for Brown, a new personal record. The complexion of this event tremendously because he was in pressure on Stanton, Conway, and Howard with this clearance at 7-7 a quarter, and he really hopped off the ground on this one. Look at the hip height on that jump. Brian Brown, 
what a surprise. The word was there, my relationship was there, but I didn't have really any real focus on a godly focus until Eric Lee. Any of you try high jump in high school? How high did you get? <laughs> Safe to say Brian's the only pastor on our staff who's jumped over seven feet, seven and a quarter inches. He was just an inch or two away from the Olympics. His wife, Natasha, represented the United States in the Olympics in the 400 meters. This is their family, this is their kids. And at the end, he said, I had a kind of faith that was just going through the motions until I met Eric Willard Lee, who was also a high jumper in Louisiana where Brian grew up. All state, he's an athletic hall of fame at his high school now, got a full ride scholarship to Northwestern State in Louisiana. And Brian didn't like him. <laughs> and not in the way, you know, athletic competitors maybe see each other as rivals. He didn't like him because Eric talked trash at high school track and field meets. And as Brian put it, you know, you talk a little trash in basketball sometimes. You talk a little trash in football. You do not talk trash at the high jump. <laughs> you, just, you just don't. It's just not acceptable. But Eric did, and so I didn't like him. Well, I'll let you hear it from Brian himself. And then the surprise that God had for both of them. I met Eric my senior year of high school at the Louisiana State track and field competition. He was um, a competitor, and he was there, and quite honestly, Eric Lee was very obnoxious. He was on the high jump apron, and pro just previous to jumping and the competition starting, he was the young man walking around the apron, a little bit bold, getting in people's face, saying, you should have stayed home. I don't know why you came. I'm going to win. He was brash. He was confident but a little bit of a jerk. And he stood out among all the other competitors. At the end of the day, um, I was pretty confident too. And uh, I won the competition. It was uh, pretty competitive. I jumped well. Um, and for me, it was really something that was important. I was trying to vie for a scholarship. My parents could not afford to send me to college. It was an important time for me. So I didn't let any distractions get in the way. Um, and so it was an opportunity for me to hopefully gain access to college. No one in my college and my family had gone. So it was important to me. I got a call from Northwestern State University. And um, when I got the call, I decided to transfer. I got on campus in Natchitoches, Louisiana. And as I got on campus in Sabine Hall and I walked in the room and I opened the door and there standing is Eric Willard Lee the same young man that was at the state meet months earlier. And I couldn't believe it. I, I kind of did a double take and it was him. He's my assigned roommate. He's someone that I got to figure out how to live with. Um, and then for the first few weeks, first month, I watched him, I listened to him. Um, Eric was different. That something happened uh, between that state meet um, and when we actually reported as roommates. As I watched him, I realized what was different about him uh, was his relationship with Jesus. Um, and so I, I knew that there had to be something real that occurred in his life because um, he was kind, he was compassionate, um, he was patient, his pace was different, um, and it was consistent. And so I knew that was something different. And it got my attention. And when I saw Eric and I saw what was happening in his life, I wanted that. And I knew that there was something different. I believe that God showed me Eric Lee how he was so that I could see him as my roommate and really understand the difference that God can make in someone's life. 
So that was when my heart was softened and the, the heart, the soil of my heart was open to really receive the word of God. And as I watched him, he said one day in our dorm room, I think we were studying, I was maybe doing math and he was studying his word. And one day he said, Brown, he said, uh, you're a champion. He said, I want to be a champion like you. And I said, now, nah, Eric, I said, you're the champion. I said, I want to be a champion like you. And I said, I want what you got. I said, I want, I want a deeper relationship with an almighty God. And it was at that moment in our dorm room, little small dorm room. Um, we stood up, just he and I in the middle of that room. And um, I lifted up my hands, opened my heart, prayed the sinner's prayer. And I knew my life changed at that moment. I knew that there was something different about the word of God, the seed that was being planted in me. And um, it changed my life. In order to understand Brian's story, you need to know a little bit about Eric's story. That's what Brian told me. If I'm going to tell my story, i got to tell you about Eric. Because the good seed hit Eric's soil, his soul, and it transformed him. He went from a trash-talking high school high jumper to a, um, a child of God, a dedicated husband and father and friend, a church deacon, a decorated Gulf War Air Force veteran, a best man. That's him in this boys to men reunion picture uh, right, next to, <laughs> right next to Brian on his wedding day because Eric was the best man, just to his right. Good seed, it's good soil, not just for great public civil rights leaders and prophets, modern day prophets like Martin Luther King, but ordinary people like Eric and Brian and you and me. Cultivate the soil of your soul and let the good seed hit it. Listen, Jesus says, let me tell you a story about you. A farmer went out to plant some seeds, and, and when he did, next screen, it, it produced. It produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as was planted. I told you uh, just a few minutes ago that Brian really wanted to be here to preach in person. I really wanted him to be here too, but when he told me why he was called away told him he had to go, so I said, well, why don't we just have you sit right here where you'd preach from, the same stool and table and Bibles, and uh, tell your story. And now the story gets kind of sad. I learned this past Tuesday, um, Eric Lee, best man in my wedding, Eric Lee, um, really my line brother, who was my rock. Eric Lee, someone who um, just was always there for me. He lost his bout with cancer this week. Um, this man profoundly impacted my life. And the seed that was planted in me um, through him allowed me to be a better father, a better husband, a better um, brother, a better son. Um, from that seed, God was able to use me to multiply the harvest as it relates to my mom, as I was able to lead her to Christ, and my dad, and my nephew. And those things, as we look at the impact of his life, he was there for me, so I want to be there for him. And so um, his funeral is coming up next, it's coming up, and I'm excited to be there for Sarah, his wife, and Erica, his daughter, uh, who I love dearly.
Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But even in its death, it'll produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest. What are you invested in that's going to last longer than you? The ripple effect, the, the, the seeds that, that will produce more seeds and produce even more of a crop that will multiply it out. I'm telling you there's nothing in your life that lasts longer than the eternity of God's amazing grace that gives you new life now and promises you eternal life in the kingdom of heaven forever. The rest of Matthew 13, after this story, the parable of the farmer is all about the kingdom of heaven. It inspired Martin Luther King to courageously stand up against people who were threatening his life and say, I'm not worried about you. Jesus will say later, don't, don't worry about people who can take your physical life. Worry about those who would take your soul. What do you have and what can you spread around? We're the soil in the story, but we're also the farmers in the sense that we have God's word. Who are you serving with God's word? Who are, who are you inviting into the stories? The life-changing, transformational, miraculous stories of God taking good seed, his word, and putting it in the hearts and souls and minds of people and transforming their lives. What else could you possibly live for that would be more valuable than this gift that's going to last forever? I've been to the mountaintop, King said. Last paragraph of his last speech that he ever gave. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but it doesn't matter. I've seen it. I've seen this vision that God's given to me on the mountaintop. He said, well, that's great for King. That's great for Moses. They went to their mountaintop. No, it's, you have access you have access to the same mountaintop. I don't mean physically. You have to fly to the Holy Land and try to figure out where Mount Nebo is and go up to that mountaintop and see what Moses saw and what King referred to on the eve of his assassination. Not at all. God gives it to you through his word. King didn't go to that physical mountaintop, but he's been there. He saw it, and so can you. You can take your fears, your stress, your worries, your sadness, your frustrations, your shame, Stuff that think, you think disqualifies you, you falsely think disqualifies you from the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus showed up, we've read about this in Matthew so far. He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and I'm bringing it to you. But go back. I'm bringing the seeds. So take your stresses and your worries and your frustrations and your shame and your disappointment and your broken hearts and your fear of death, or you're mourning the death of loved ones like Brian is today. Funeral for Eric was yesterday. We were texting. Brian and I were each other before and after the Saturday night sermon. And after the sermon, he surprised me. He says, a bunch of my fraternity brothers, you know, from Eric's fraternity in college, we all watched the service together last night. He says, we are all weeping. Tears of joy. To think that Eric's story is getting out to tens of thousands of people this weekend. A life well lived. Because he lived for something bigger than himself. Oh, he was doing that. <laughs> he was doing that quite intentionally. Until the good seed got into him. And then through that seed, he led Brian Brown from a kind of a marginal, sort of going through the motions, religious faith, to a life-changing, transformational relationship with Jesus Christ. Read it, learn it, live it. When we get that, we realize how valuable this gift is. 
Jesus says just a few verses later after the parable of the farmer, a very short story that teaches a very profound spiritual truth. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl. It's like a merchant who goes on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he finds the most valuable one, I didn't know this, I learned this this week, a little pearl research for you. The most valuable pearl on earth is a gray pearl because they're so rare. Maybe you're like, of course, everybody knows that. I did not know that. Not a big jewelry guy, pearl guy. But I find that fascinating. One out of 100,000 pearls are gray, which makes them rare, which makes them so valuable. So Jesus tells a story about things that we kind of get to teach you this. Once you grab onto that pearl, you will sell everything you've got in order to make sure that it's the most important thing in your life. The good seed teaches you that. Ordinary, fallible, messed up people, like we're reading about in Genesis. The good seed, the valuable gift of God's love, his amazing grace for you. Cultivate the soil, don't miss this. Tell all your friends, live for them, not yourself. Tell them and not only will you bless them in the way Eric blessed Brian, but it'll bless you too because you'll finally be living the life your creator created you to live. Amen? Let's stand up and sing out this song.